0: Latest episode of Shoespeak HR, where we're going to cover mental health and wellbeing, check in all of the mental health champions within the workplace. Um, certainly something that's that's close to to mine and and Amy's hearts. Hi, Amy. Are you okay? Hi,
1: Andy. Yeah, not bad. Are you all right?
0: All oh, good. Thank you. Um, so, we're both uh, mental health champions for Shoesmith. So, speaking from a certain uh, level of experience in terms of how that role works. Um, I should also probably say I am a trustee for Leeds Mind, um, so I volunteer my time to sit on their board um, and, and obviously get a, a greater insight into into the charity and the work that they do um, within the mental health world. Um, so, yeah, I feel I, I should say we always feel qualified to comment on the topics that we discuss, but probably more so uh, on this one than... The most. So there are recent reports that indicate that mental health and well-being have dropped down the business agenda. And, and that's despite levels of workplace stress remaining high uh, in the wake of the pandemic. Um, such that a recent report by the, the CIPD found that many employees are failing to keep mental health and well-being at the forefront of their business agenda, despite the lingering impact of the pandemic. Um, I think it's clear to see that most people uh within society have been touched uh or certainly their mental health has been touched by you know the nature of the pandemic and the restrictions um so you know it, it's crucial that organizations don't don't become complacent in this um and and kind of consider it a a thing of the past um what what's your initial thoughts there amy
1: well, I think um, prioritizing, like you say, employee well-being, I think it must remain a kind of non-negotiable thing for employers. It's not something that's just a nice to have or an added extra it should be at the forefront of employers minds um, and I think by looking at it that way and prioritizing it this is going to boost employee efficiency it's going to make sure your employees are kind of less inclined to kind of move organizations because we're obviously seeing a bit of a shift still with people leaving and trying to join different places and I think it will just add to the value point really that employees will feel valued and looked after which is what most people want um, from their employer um, so that CIPD sort of uh, report that you refer to, Andy. I think they found that kind of the number of HR professionals um, who think that wellbeing is being prioritised has actually fallen by five percent in the past year. Um, and I think the survey also kind of reported on that there had been a decrease in senior management who have bought who are bought into the importance of wellbeing. And I think that's quite a really crucial point, actually, that it should to an extent start at the top and I think if it does start at the top and filter down those employees that maybe are at a lower level in the organization again we'll see that and will feel supported and feel like the culture and the structure of the business is there and wants to look after their wellbeing. Um, And I think it is having those role models at senior management level, director level is always helpful, especially if it's people speaking out and things like that as well about their own mental health. Um, And I think again, mentioning the the pandemic, I think it's really important that employers don't forget um, kind of lessons learned during that time um, and the importance of employee wellbeing. Yes, we're kind of on the other side of it now. um, but it, it, well-being is still there. It's still important. And there are a lot of kind of effects and consequences of the pandemic which are still around. People with long COVID, for example, that might be something that's happening within businesses. Um, and I think it can be really easy just to slip back into old habits. So employers need to make sure that they're they're not losing any achievement or momentum I guess gained in the area of kind of supporting employee well-being um going forwards and I think again as I sort of said earlier I think it's really well known that like happy employees and sort of well looked after employees will probably naturally perform better um and again therefore it just shows how key well being is to kind of um, staff loyalty and resilience within um, an employer's organisation. Um, I suppose, do you have any kind of recommendations for employers, Andy?
0: Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I should also say, I guess we're we're not here just to bash employers and companies and, and say that things, you know, because I think there has been huge strides made by lots of organisations. You know, that the stigma is is disappearing. Has it gone completely? Probably not, but it but it is disappearing. And and the other thing is, when once an organisation starts doing something and the culture changes and there's that shift, then actually there there is less need to invest time into it, but. The the key is I guess is is to reflect and say well actually it has our has our culture changed such that actually these things are just happening um, you know so so we don't need to dedicate as much time and resource to it or is it that actually it is it has slipped to the back of the mind so it, it's worth just you know kind of to some extent organization doing an doing an audit to to understand you know what they're doing and what what they could do better um, you know and and things that. Lots of organisations that are good in this space do is you know they they have regular check-ins uh, and communication with employees, um, not in relation to the always the professional workloads, but also personal pressures that you know that may be impacting staff performance. You know, kind of are, are they having relationship difficulties? Are they are they moving house? Are they are, you know kind of having financial difficulties? Are there you know kind of problems with childcare or, or actually upwards care in terms of parents grandparents you know they, these are all things that impact upon people um and and just having a a conversation about that and and letting staff know that you as a manager are aware um is is super helpful to an individual who, who may be bottling things up so you know kind of and on that note if, if you can create a, a safe place for discussion and, and encourage employees to reach out when they are struggling then you know kind of that that's back to the culture point that actually you you've established a culture that allows those conversations to happen that recognizes that humans aren't machines um that just can, can go in and go in and go in and, and aren't affected by you know kind of all things emotion which which impacts upon us all um you know listen to those staff um in terms of any suggestions um you know kind of people often say that you know the best Possible ideas come from corridors within companies, and not necessarily the boardroom. So, if staff are suggesting things, take those on board and and see what can be done with them. The other thing, and I, and I think organisations were fantastic at this during the the lockdown, is is to, to to make sure the senior people, the senior managers, and staff are are actually leading by example um, and and kind of having those conversations and saying you know, I'm having a tough day today and, you know, kind of recognizing that and, and, and equally, you know, kind of, if, if they're going for a jog at lunchtime or, or whatever to get the endorphins flowing, you know, because that is something they find is, is helpful, you know, pass that message down, um, cascade it to, to people so that they understand, um, you know, that those options are fine. They're they're not things that, um, should, should be kind of disregarded just because you're busy. Um, and I guess for managers as well, on, on the same topic, is remain mindful when setting deadlines um, and ensure that those targets are are realistic and achievable. You're not just setting up, you know, kind of junior members to fail ultimately. Um, and and then I guess networks of of mental health and well-being. Um, I know we've mentioned at the top of the the episode that that you and I sit as mental health champions at Shoe Smiths. You want to to give a little bit of detail about that and how you see that that works for businesses
1: yeah, sure. So um, so I suppose like to give some context for those that maybe don't have a similar network in their own kind of business at the moment. Um, So at Shoesmith, we've got this network of employee mental health and wellbeing champions. And the structure at the moment is there's kind of a central committee, which is made up of employees across the different Shoesmith offices, because we're kind of all the way from Scotland down to Solon and even sort of going out now to to Ireland as well. Um, So there's Great. lots of...
0: And lead, well, team.
1: yeah, Leeds is there. Obviously, Milton Keynes, <laughs> where I am as well. Um, but there's a whole whole host of people from all our different offices, which is really nice. So you've got this core committee, which is co-chaired. And then in each office, you've got um, champions, which kind of sit underneath that umbrella committee as well. Um, so I'm obviously one of these champions of Milton Keynes. and he's one for the Leeds office. And the role really, I think, sort of you're there to kind of input, feedback to the committee, um, you kind of communicate and put in place any initiatives at a local level um, any any activities organized by the main committee but also we're kind of there to to be on the ground for those in our office so if people want to come and talk to us um, if people have concerns or want anything kind of um sort of maybe brought to the attention of the main committee but also to signpost here so if we are talking to people and they maybe need some extra support but that's uh, they need an organization outside of um, she's for example, then we can kind of help signpost them and and steer them in the right way so they can get the support they need. Um, And we just generally raise awareness of mental health in the workplace. So um, if there's certain days throughout the year, like obviously when you have Mental Health Awareness Week or Stress Awareness Month, um, then we try and kind of run initiatives and um, just make people aware, really, that those dates are in the diary and just to let people know we're here and they can come and chat to us if they want to. Um, I know some businesses have mental health first aiders, which is now something you can kind of get trained for and, and get your qualifications for that. So we we aren't first aiders at Shoesmith, but I know many businesses have decided to, to kind of send their employees on the course and, and get the qualifications for that. So that's something else to think about depending on what type of business you are um, and whether you think it'd be useful to have um, mental health first aiders within the business. So um, yeah, we're just kind of, I think the kind of main purpose for us really is to kind of create, I'd say i call it like a communication bridge, I guess, between um, the sort of she smiths between us and then the rest of the workforce. So, again, we're just there to kind of help people and and support them as a way of sort of making sure well-being and um, mental health is kind of kept at the best it can be um, while, while we do our daily daily jobs. So, um, I mean, Andy, what do you think the benefits are of kind of having a, a mental health and well-being network?
0: I think first and foremost it it demonstrates to the workforce that this is something that the organization takes seriously um you know and and then it will attract people to to sit on that committee and and those people often have lived experience of of mental health problems um and and the very fact that they're putting their hand up to join a committee probably in turn means that they're they're happy to to share those experiences and how they have overcome those problems, or are still managing those mental health issues, um, and you know, kind of in doing that, um, and and allowing that network to exist, allowing that network to have that communication bridge that you talk about, it it will inevitably give others um, who are less confident to to talk about their mental health, um, confidence to to have those conversations. You know, kind of whether it's with somebody from the network or with their line manager um but you know kind of it, it gives people the option to to have a conversation to to have those regular check-ins with the champions um you know to 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 ultimately allow as much as you and i both experienced uh, and you know kind of in the mental health world neither of us are doctors uh, and you know kind of that are capable of of actually providing any kind of medication but what we can do and what is really really important if you speak to those medically qualified people is have a conversation is is be a listening ear, is, is to be a signposter for where people can get um support and and that is so crucial to an individual that is experienced mental health issues you know because the, the very nature of mental health issues means that often you know kind of those individuals will will lose sight of um you know kind of what is the right thing to do or or what is what lots of people would perceive as being normal oh of course yeah I'll, I'll look at the employee assistance program and and there may be support there but people kind of get themselves into mental health difficulties where then they're, they're not actually perhaps thinking straight or thinking rationally and that in itself can be um a, a vicious circle so you know kind of having those conversations allowing you know somebody who's a little bit stepped back a little bit emotionally detached um is is and can be so important for individuals so that for me is the benefit of the network and ultimately, people that are engaged in the network and are join the network you know kind of you can also build up their confidence as an organization you can build up their confidence, their skills their knowledge like you say you know there are mental first aid courses that that can be on you know so that they can perform that role effectively um, but yeah, it, it's it ultimately comes down to most mental health messages that that are kind of pushed out there are to encourage people to talk, encourage people to communicate. So, so by having a network, you you are starting that process um, and and giving people a framework to to work within, which, you know, kind of can only be a positive um, and and ultimately doesn't take up too huge amounts of time for for individuals as well so you know kind of it, it's it's certainly a win win in in my opinion um, so yeah what what i guess what amy and i are, are hoping that people will that our listeners will take away from this podcast is is just to remember that mental health hasn't gone anywhere it's not going anywhere you know kind of it, it's like people's physical health you know kind of to to maintain fitness levels you know if you look at mo far and those kind of runners that they're out jogging all the time um you know to to run those incredible times those incredible distances mental health's the same you you need to kind of make sure that that training those those hard yards in terms of effort and, and getting your mental health fitness where it needs to be aren't aren't just put to one side because we're coming out of the other side of the pandemic or you know because we've spent enough time on this topic and, and we're moving on to something else that's not how it works um so i i'm sure we're telling organizations things they already know um but if if anybody does have any further queries or actually wants to let us know what they're doing within their organization then we would welcome Um, that contact and and do feel free to email in uh, to shoespeakhr at shoesmiths.co.uk but thanks for listening thanks Amy
1: thanks Andy